The Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center is a Black-led, Black-focused, and Black-serving charitable organization in the region of Peel. Rest Centers provides transitional housing support services to BIPOC youth experiencing or at risk of experiencing homelessness. In less than 10 years of operation, REST has established itself as an essential organization to the fight to end youth homelessness by supporting youth to change their stories, discover new possibilities, and shelter dignity. This podcast, Homelessness in Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, is an uncensored discussion of content that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Personal discretion is advised. Welcome to Homelessness in Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, a podcast about homelessness, youth homelessness, and issues of poverty in our communities, from the people right in the thick of it. Homelessness is a spectrum that starts with risk, where you have a short deadline to find new shelter before you have nowhere to live. Then it transitions to hidden homelessness, which the Canadian Observatory of Homelessness defines as people who are staying with relatives, friends, neighbors, or strangers because they have no other option. Homelessness, in the most traditional sense, living on the streets, in and out of shelters, is known as chronic. Understanding that homelessness is a spectrum is key to making a difference, because every notch on that spectrum requires a different approach. Rust's Bridge of Hope program pairs youth with community landlords, our bridge builders, to maintain a lasting tenant relationship with Rest Center's support. Through this program, we offer tenant training to teach youth how to be responsible tenants while engaging with the rental market showing them not only their rights, but their responsibilities while engaging in this space. We also provide rental subsidies to our youth to help them maintain housing while they seek employment, social assistance, or family reunification. The Bridge of Hope program provides hope to youth who otherwise have been cast aside by their loved ones through unfortunate breakdowns or when the hammer of tragedy strikes. However, between the affordable housing shortage, ageism towards young people in the housing market, and the steep, steep barriers to entry like guarantors, credit checks, and pay stubs, we can't always house youth the second they need to be housed. No one can. And that's why youth shelters are an invaluable resource in the fight against youth homelessness. The shelter system is integral for immediate interventions in times of crisis and long-term support for youth without support elsewhere. Without youth shelters to take on the brunt of emergency response, we wouldn't get anywhere. Too many youth would be outright lost to the adult system or the streets. In this three-part mini-series, we'll uncover the truth of life inside of a youth shelter in Peel, from both a service provider and a youth perspective. We'll capture some of the rules, norms, and taboos that exist within youth shelters to keep them comfortable, practical, and secure for everyone. The shelter at Center Stage today is operated by Our Place Peel, a nonprofit agency that provides shelter and additional support to youth ages 16 to 24 in Peel. Brampton Youth Shelter is one of three of Our Place Peel's current operations. There's another shelter in Mississauga, and they also currently manage an overflow site. At 12.01 a.m. on July 1st, 2021, Our Place Peel took over the operations of what was once Queen's Youth Shelter from the Salvation Army. As the shelter transitioned to Brampton Youth Shelter, there was no cease in operation. Today, we'll sit down with Crystal, LaToya, and Abigail from Our Place Peel to learn more about what life is like inside the youth shelter as a service provider. We'll learn about the services they provide, their impact on the community, and the pros and cons to the youth shelter system. Hello, Crystal. Hello, LaToya. Hello, Abigail. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. I'm feeling great to be here. Yay, thank you. And I am doing well. Okay, so I think the first thing I will do is have you wonderful ladies introduce yourself because this is a very special episode. Okay, um, so my name is Crystal. I am a youth support supervisor here at Brampton Youth Shelter. My name is Latoya and I'm a day youth worker here at the Brampton Youth Shelter. I'm Abigail, the Complex Case Coordinator for our Mississauga location. Um, pretty much my role is to provide case management to our youth in hopes of finding long-term stable housing and anything that falls between that, like any other barriers that they would be facing to achieve this housing goal, um, how I can work with them to support them and help them to find housing. Okay, perfect. And Crystal, can you elaborate a little more on 
what your role entails? Yeah, um, so as a supervisor at Brampton Youth Shelter, really my role is to help support frontline staff um, with the daily operations of the shelter. So just making sure that um, I'm mindful of like keeping pace of the shelter, tracking kind of all intakes and discharges, um, that I'm available on the floor to support staff um, if or when kind of crisis um, or additional support is required. Perfect. Thank you. And Latoya? Uh, so my role as a worker is uh, mainly to do frontline work, which include intakes, discharges, uh, supporting the youths um, in, say, maybe helping them with like a resume or um, helping them to make like certain appointments. Uh, also to do like security checks, like room checks, just checking the youths, make sure they're all safe. Um, yeah, just day-to-day um, operations of the shelter. I'm very excited for this conversation because I've known for quite some time now that I wanted to learn more about youth shelters in depth. This episode has been a long time coming for sure. It's been, it's been many months behind the scenes, um, but we're finally here and I'm very excited for it. I very much for basically my entire time in this space. So it's, we're coming up on a couple of years now where I've been, you know, actively advocating for the end of youth homelessness independently, but also with rest. Um, I've always been very intrigued and a strong proponent of youth shelters as being very exceptional and vital emergency response and even like long-term support in the fight against youth homelessness. Because without shelters, I think any other idea, any other approach would fall apart because without the existence of shelters to, you know, have that emergency response and have the ability to take youth who are extremely vulnerable and put them in a place of stability, no matter how long they're in that place, I think it's it's super important. Without that, nothing else would be able to get done. And so I'm very excited to learn more about that, but I want to hear from both of you what you're hoping to get out of this conversation. I'm hoping just maybe just for awareness about youth um, homelessness, uh, especially in the region of Peel. I feel that we don't have enough resources to serve the youths um, in this region. So hopefully with this podcast, other funders or partners could step in and assist in um, other ways that could help um, to prevent youth homelessness, get youths a better option than say emergency shelters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my main kind of goal or intention in in supporting with this podcast is really around the the advocacy piece. So advocating for, you know, this vulnerable population um, and just supporting and kind of, you know, championing the, the cause, the issue of youth homelessness. Very exciting. Thank you. Um, This is actually a very unique opportunity in that, Abigail, you not only have worked at both shelters, but you now primarily work at the Mississauga shelter. And so I'm hoping that in this conversation, we can do a little bit of comparison work, maybe comparing like the the structures and the rules and the overall, for lack of a better phrase, vibe of both shelters to see, you know, talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly from this perspective of all of you. We will focus on the Queen's Youth Shelter as that's what we are prepared to do. But of course, if anyone has any insights from the other shelter and how maybe things differ, um, I'm more than happy to hear about that as well. So that said, I think I will start with the question of how did Queen's Youth Shelter, the location in Brampton, come to be? Yes. Um, So uh, I will give you the history that I know of um, in terms of Brampton Youth Queen Shelter. Um, So Brampton Youth Queen Shelter uh, actually initially was the old 7 at 7 motel. Um, That's what the property initially was. Um, And then we were, the property was taken over by the Salvation Army um, and uh, run for the region of Peel. And that's where the name came as Queen Youth Shelter. Um, And then in July, it was July 1st, 2021, our place Peel established Brampton Youth Shelter at the old 707 and 7 motel. Um, And we opened uh, Brampton Youth Shelter with a 40 bed capacity. Um, And we started to call BQIS Brampton Queen Youth Shelter. Mm, got it. If I can ask a bit of a follow-up question about that, are you able to speak to what that transition was like from going from 
Salvation Army oversight to our place Peel oversight because I understand that there was no cease of operations. It was like 12.01 a.m. on a fateful day in 2021 where operations shifted and things were as seamless as possible. Correct. Yes. Pretty much from June right into July 1st, the last business day of June into July 1st, 2021. That's when um, OPP, um, our place Peel, took over the Brampton Youth Shelter. And you're right. We um, pretty much um, just came in and took over the space and actually just continued on supporting the clients that were already um, prior Salvation Army clients. We acquired them as our place Peel Brampton Youth Shelter um, clients. And that's pretty much how we established our baseline of clients at Brampton Youth Shelter. Okay. My next question is quite a big one, actually. How does the shelter operate? And I know Mississauga kind of looks different, is structured different than Brampton, but what does the day-to-day look like in the shelter? Um, So at Brampton Youth Shelter, kind of a typical day really does start with staff coming in. Our first staff will arrive for morning shift about 7 a.m. And that's when we start to roll over the shift for the day. So we're looking for, you know, do you have any appointments for the day? Are there any important case management meetings going on? Do we need to support any youth to get up for school or work? Um, Kind of prepping um, the common areas for the youth to come and Um, grab breakfast and start their day and head out make sure we have all of our like bus tickets ready um, for any youth that are going off site and really um, that first kind of uh, shift rollover of the days where we do a lot of information passing um, from one day to another Um, and then about nine o'clock staff kind of formally roll over and go on to the dorms and that's when we kind of start the process of supporting the youth to get up, then head to breakfast and come join us in the common area for programming if they're on site or encourage them to head off site and um, seek out employment or, um, you know, go to school or look for um, housing as well. Um, Also, one of the day-to-day operation is if you're in one of the dorms, uh, one of the ways that you support the youth is to do hourly room checks. So we'll just go every hour just to check on them. We'll have a chat, see if they need anything. If they need anything, we can also support um, them with whatever they need. That may be, say, appointments, calling around to do, say, maybe do like look for jobs or build in their resume. Yeah. I have a follow-up question. I think my first one is about the hourly room checks. Are you able to elaborate a little more on why those are a good practice to have or why they are the practice to have, as well as maybe what they look like? I'm so... Brampton Youth Shelter is a harm reduction site. And with that being said, youths do use substances. So one of the reasons to do hourly room check is just for health and safety and for wellness of our youth, right? Just in the event that somebody might be using in their room, which is not necessarily permitted, but they do still do it. So... Um, just for that, we do hourly checks just to make sure that even if they are using, they are using safely and they know that staff is there to support them just in the event that something happens and we need to administer the naloxone or we need to call 911, non-emerge, that we can do so as opposed to not doing checks and something is happening and the youth needs support and staff doesn't know. So security checks um, happen every hour and really, you know, the purpose for that is related to safety and security, Um, but it can also, you know, be related to supporting kind of clients who have individual kind of, um, you know, exceptionalities. So what that looks like, you know, we could have a youth who might be having mental health crisis. um, And so we can bump room checks up. It can, you know, the baseline is kind of every hour a room check should be done. Um, and then it can go anywhere from an hour to a half an hour rate down to every 15 minutes um, just to make sure that we're meeting kind of the needs of the clients based on whatever um, their kind of individual care path plan needs are. Um, so we're really flexible with room checks. We kind of can do them really formally, super informally, just to kind of meet the needs of the clients. But it really is. We have such a big facility Um, It really is kind of with that purpose of like safety and security in mind. Hmm. 
No, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, For any listeners unaware of what harm reduction is, episode 9 and episode 14 of the podcast do really go into depth about that. I thoroughly recommend giving those episodes a listen if this is a topic that is particularly of interest to you. But to essentially paraphrase a neutral friendly definition, harm reduction can be described as providing safe materials and spaces to um, engage in substance use, essentially to keep people alive long enough to make decisions for themselves and so that they can exercise their personal rights as autonomous human beings. So essentially not enabling them, but providing them with what they need to do what they need to do safely so that they can continue to make decisions for themselves. Another question I had kind of in regards to, I guess, the overall stance around, I think I'll say independence. Crystal, I think you had said um, something about getting the bus tickets ready for the day for the youth who are going off site. Um, And that kind of made me think about what the process would be for youth going off site, because, of course, um, your demographic is ages 16 to 25. So then 16 and 17, those are legal minors. Um, And so what that made me think of was, is there any kind of procedure in place for when maybe 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds want to go off-site versus when 18-year-olds and older want to go off-site? Yeah, so there's no per se kind of formal policy or plan that we have to follow um, for that. But definitely with our younger youth, we like to kind of check in with them, ask them what their plans are for the day. Um, make sure that they have like, you know, our business card with our number in case they need to reach us. Um, Make sure that, you know, we've talked through kind of transit and where they're going, make sure that they have enough, um, you know, bus tickets. So we do a variety of Brampton and Mississauga tickets here. Um, So we kind of map quest or map out the route that the youth is going to take, ensuring that they have enough kind of bus tickets or funding to kind of get from point A to B and return back safely to the shelter and then the youth really they have the freedom um kind of our our rule is that from you know 6 a.m until midnight youth have that kind of freedom to come and go they have that autonomy um to go to school or go to work or seek out housing or look for employment um between kind of those hours Mm, okay on that note as well i guess what are the hours that youth are expected to be inside the shelter from midnight to when from midnight to 6 a.m. unless they have, let's say they work overnight, then they're allowed to be well, obviously at work during those hours, but they have to provide us with like a schedule or like a letter from the employee that says they're working during those hours. Mm, okay, that makes sense. And is there any other reason why a youth might be permitted to be out of the shelter outside of those hours beyond work? Or is it maybe if a youth doesn't come back until the morning after and no one knows where they were? I'm just curious about how like those situations are handled as well. Sure. So there's a few kind of exceptions to curfew, if you will. Um, So as mentioned, if they're working, if they're attending a religious function or a community event, um, if the youth maybe are going to visit family or friends and there's maybe an option of reconciliation, um, we also have youth off-site uh, to attend, like, school trips or, you know, um, university tours or college tours. Um, so we're pretty flexible with that. Um, but what that looks like is if a youth is going to be off-site or they're going to be um, returning to the site later than curfew, um, we have a document that we kind of prepare in advance um, just so that all staff are on the same page that, hey, um, youth XYZ, you know, is going um, off site on this day, this time um, to go and, you know, visit with family and friends and will return on this date or time. Um, and that's just to support kind of communication within the shelter. So, of course, we don't um, discharge a youth accidentally while they might be, you know, um, at home exploring reconciliation as an option. Um, and just in addition to that, too, like, let's say they have transportation issues where they're out in the community and they thought that they would have caught the bus at X time to get back here by curfew and something happened and they missed the bus. So now they have to wait half an hour for the other bus and that pushes back their time. Um, youth is encouraged to call the shelter to just let staff know that, hey, this is what is happening. However, I'm waiting on the other bus and I will return by, let's say, two o'clock. Mm-hmm. And then staff would... Um, pass it on to other staff that is on shift 
and everybody would know like not to discharge your suit because they will be coming by two o'clock. Okay, so it's just a matter of maintaining, I guess, open communication between the youth and the shelter staff. Yeah, we try to be really uh, as flexible as we can be um, with that. As long as you know, there's a plan and the youth are in communication with us, we absolutely will support. Um, I guess the flip side of that is the reality is curfew is midnight. And so, you know, we do that hourly room check and at midnight, um, we kind of look in any youth that's not here that doesn't have a support plan. What that looks like is we will give a courtesy call to the youth to see if we can locate them in the community and encourage them to come back to the shelter. Um, But if for whatever reason we aren't able to get a hold of the youth or there is no plan um, created for that overnight, then unfortunately we do have to move forward and do a discharge. That, that last word, discharge, I think leads me into my next question. So I'm going to kind of tie them together. Um, what are the grounds for discharge? And I'm asking this from the perspective that youth shelters, by and by, are quite differently structured than adult shelters, from my understanding. And so I want to know kind of what are the grounds for discharge in your shelter and how that might differ from um, an adult shelter, which would be in most cases 18 plus. Yeah. So at our shelter, we definitely um, take like a low barrier approach. Um, With that being said, we also um, practice restorative practice. Um, So what that looks like is we are definitely like second, third, fourth chance people. We really try to meet our clients where they're at um, and really, really try to support them there. So for us, Discharge always looks like an absolute last resort. Um, So what that looks like is, you know, if there is a youth that has maybe challenging substance use or mental health, um, we wrap around them with support services and create plans to support them um, versus kind of looking at the behavior and just discharging because it's a challenge. Um, So we take a very different approach here um, at Our Place Peel. We definitely wrap around our clients Um, And so sometimes discharges do happen, don't get me wrong, Um, but that looks like, you know, if there's a discharge because there might be an immediate safety risk to staff or other residents, then we will have to kind of look at actioning that discharge. But we definitely try to exhaust all of our resources um, prior to kind of initiating any, any discharge of a youth in this space. Um, With that being said, I want to be really clear that we have a... We don't discharge into homelessness. It's a policy that we stand by. So let's say we do end up in a situation where we do have to transition a client or discharge them out of the program. What that looks like is us um, securing a bed for them at another site and supporting them to transition over to the other um, location. So it's a very, um, we try to do it as, you know, as as softly as a transfer as possible, um, just to, to make sure that we're supporting the client. Like I said, for us, discharge really is a last resort option, um, but sometimes we, we definitely have to execute it. And when we do, we try to be as, as gentle as possible or as supportive as possible. Do any of you have, I guess, the experience or the knowledge to speak to how that might differ from how an adult shelter might discharge or even just generally speaking? I'll speak a little bit and then these ladies can chime in with their thoughts. Um, I know from kind of work experience that I have um, not related to um, our place, Peel or Brampton Youth Shelter, um, that traditionally other shelters, specifically, you know, um, adult shelters, it's a little bit different of an intake discharge process. So my understanding with those shelters is, you know, curfew is a very strict thing. um, And if the clients are not in for curfew, for example, they will initiate that discharge. Um, where we kind of take other other processes and other steps to try to support our youth to, to not discharge them as our first kind of step. And I don't know, I feel like, I'm not sure, but maybe adult shelters, they don't practice the low barrier approach as well. So it's almost like, a, this is what you did, the consequence is a discharge, right? So there's kind of no leeway or no way to say, okay, this is what you did, how can we repair the harm or what can we do to support you that this doesn't happen again that would potentially lead to a discharge at that point right so i think that's maybe the difference in my opinion 
Um, I know for me, I have worked at a youth adult shelter in the region of Pio, and like Abigail just mentioned, the low barrier is not there. So once you do something that you're not supposed to do, it's okay, you're discharged. Um, curfew as well, like we have like a support plan where you can go outside so to meet family or to go to like a religious uh, event. They don't have that option at the shelter. It's like whatever curfew is, you have to be back or else you have you will be discharged. So there's no flexibility with the adult shelter. It's just like by the book. No, and it does make sense. Like I've absolutely heard of I've heard multiple people, many of whom have been interviewed on this show, who have experienced, you know, situations where they are out in the community, like out of the shelter in the community for a number of hours, maybe like looking for food, looking um, for work and stuff like that. And then they come back and their stuff has been removed and it's just waiting for them on the curb or at the front door. And it's because they weren't back in time or it's because they were gone for an extended amount of time. Like, is that an experience that you guys could validate as something that might happen at an adult shelter? Yeah, I think yeah, the bottom line is yes, absolutely. We can validate that the at the adult shelters, their process is definitely a different process um, than we take in the youth shelters. Absolutely. And so that leads me into, I think, honestly, one of the bigger questions on my list is what works about the youth shelter system and what doesn't work? So that could be like what needs more support and protection versus what just needs to be reformed? I think that's a really big question about what works, right? Um, I think definitely, we can definitely attest to the low barrier approach. Um, we find at Brampton Youth Shelter, the low barrier approach, we're meeting our clients where we're, where they're at. Um, and I think also kind of, you know, um, the fact that we are a harm reduction site that we, we, we supply and distribute harm reduction supplies for our clients. I think those are things that do work. Um, I would say one thing that does work as well is uh, case management. So that's where Abigail would like, you know, help the youths to sit down with them and have a chat to see where they're going, their housing goals. That could also be for employment as well. So having that support with someone there, like walking you through, some of these youths may not know how to navigate the system. So someone just there with them to guide them through that process. I think that's what really works. And um, in terms of case management, it's the fact that it's also very accessible mm -hmm. and it is ongoing, right? So you can typically access the caseworker when they're on site. And even if the caseworker is not on site, um, that's where our shift change comes in, where we pass on information to the bigger staff, right? So that if I'm not there and a client needs support, another staff member can step in in the interim, right? So... That's where case management was coming. And to tie in with that is the programs and services that we offer to our youth, right? It's just to give them that additional support because um, being a youth, you, you kind of need somebody to guide you, to kind of hold your hand while you're trying to navigate the system. So our programming would range from employment to mental health to life skills, Housing, like housing is always the bigger goal, but it's what are we doing to get you to reach to that final step, right? Because you have a lot of barriers that you need to, to kind of tackle or to address in order to have sustainable housing or long-term housing, right? So on-site, we provide programs geared to these different aspects of your life that you might need to address before you can truly live independently and you have some youths who cannot necessarily move on to independent living and then that's where transitional housing comes into play mm -hmm. so a big part of the youth shelter system is that there's an option for youth to transition into transitional housing could you describe the difference between a youth shelter and transitional housing um so the youth shelter is an emergency shelter, right? So we're responding to the immediate need of you experiencing homelessness in that moment, right? A transitional housing now, it's semi-independent, right? So it's that step between homelessness and independent living, right? So it's pretty much just like a congregate living with high supports. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, semi-independent. Yep. So 
independent living with the support of staff who will guide you. Um, transitional housing is typically for a year. Some programs do go to 18 months, but it's typically for a year. And in that year, there's staff there to kind of support you, kind of just groom you and give you all the tools you need to be successful in transitioning into independent living. For transitional housing, um, youths are required to pay rent. However, it is at a subsidized cost, um, which I think I can speak to the one that is in Peel, which is called Peel Youth Village. I think the rent monthly is three ninety. Yeah, so youths would have to pay that. And that's also kind of teaching them life skills too. It's a part of money management and kind of just setting you up for independent living to know that, okay, when you transition here, you would have to pay rent on a monthly basis, right? So it's kind of also teaching them what life is like outside of the shelter and outside of this support that you're getting right now. All right, thank you for that. That'll be a kind of a really good comparison point. Um, another question I have then is, is transitional housing always the goal from a youth shelter or is there ever a situation where the goal needs to pivot for whatever reason? All right. So again, it, it goes back to kind of having that client-centered approach where every client need is different. Where a transitional housing might be an option for a youth, it doesn't feel like it's the standard for all youths, right? You have some youths who will come in here and based on conversation that you have when you're doing like your initial case management, you can say, you know, I think this youth needs to go through family rec to reunite with their family to go back home. Or I think this person needs like a foster, like a foster home or a group home. Like transitional housing does not... It, it's not like a one-size-fit-all type of thing. It's just kind of seeing the needs of the client and kind of tailoring their plan towards whatever you see fit. And also with the youth in mind, too, because they can tell you what they think is best for them as well, right? And then you can, okay, support that. And then, okay, explore different options to support what is it their current needs are, mm -hmm. right? So some might need a group home, some might need foster care, some might need independent living, some might need transitional. Yeah, and some might just need like a family rec session to kind of just reunite back with their family and move back to the family home. I can definitely see how nuanced of a process that that can be in terms of the goalpost moving to where it needs to move. Before we get back to our conversation with Crystal, LaToya, and Abigail, I want to take a moment to touch base with you. If you're interested in joining the conversation, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube so we can hear your thoughts on today's episode and you can let us know what you want to see in the future. The Breast Center's Digital Literacy for Life program is back. Digital Literacy for Life, DL4L, is a program of practical, hands-on training on how to navigate the digital world. Between now and October 25th, 2023, Youth will learn how to get the most out of their computer, tips and tricks to make money online, learn to detect scams, discover the marketing power of social media, and more. To qualify for the program, you must identify as a BIPOC youth aged 16 to 29 and live in the region of Peel. Preference will be given to youth receiving social assistance or low income. To learn more about the Digital Literacy for Life program and to register, everything you need is in the description. Rest Centers is also launching a new program designed to help youth who have experienced homelessness and housing insecurity to process their trauma and tell their stories from a place of empowerment. My Story, My Power, Strength and Storytelling is a platform to transform challenges into art, inspire change, and make your voice heard. Youth participating in this program will have access to artistic direction from knowledgeable mentors, training, a supportive community, a $1,000 grant to bring their stories to life, and an exhibition to share their stories with the world. Whether it's spoken word, poetry, song, short film, podcasting, or book writing, we're dedicated to providing a platform to create, inspire, and make an impact. Breast Centers would like to thank Laid Law Foundation for generously funding this program. Breast provides a wide variety of services that center around shelter, living, healing, and growing. Our biggest flagship program is one you've already heard about, the Bridge of Hope, a socially innovative approach to preventing youth homelessness. In collaboration with our bridge builders, the landlords we work with to house and build the capacity of youth to live independently, the Bridge of Hope program provides youth with a sense of belonging that can only be found in a stable home. 
We are always looking for new bridge builders. So if you have an empty room in your house or an extra space to rent and are interested in housing youth in need, or if you want to otherwise volunteer with Rest Centers, you can send an email to info at restcenters.org. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-S-T-C-E-N-T-R-E-S dot org to learn how you can get involved. In addition to volunteer support, Rest Centers is able to support youth in Peel through generous donations from the community. When you donate the Rest Centers, you provide rental subsidies to secure affordable housing for youth, provide grocery cards to reduce food insecurity, and provide life skill training to increase a youth's capacity to live independently. Your donation additionally supports a youth's access to counseling, tenant training, financial literacy training, home economics training, and mentorship and employment opportunities. If you want to support Rest Centers with a financial donation, please see the link down below for more details. If you want to stay in the loop about what REST is doing to help our community shelter dignity and support youth experiencing homelessness, you can get to know us on our LinkedIn or subscribe to the REST Center's newsletter for updates. And most importantly, if you are a youth in Peel experiencing or at risk of experiencing homelessness, we are here to help you. Give us a call at 905-863-1118 to get in touch. Now, back to the episode. I'm going to jump back to what I had asked before about what is acting more as a barrier than you guys would like? And I think I'm going to tie this to another question of generally speaking from an anecdotal perspective, what challenges have you faced in serving the youth? And this could be youth related, organizational, logistical. In other words, this is kind of your opportunity to put it on the table and ask for help. What do you need help with to refine? Um, Okay. I think, you know what, if we're going to be really open and honest, there's lots of things that work with the shelter system, but there's also lots of things that don't work, right? So what works is, you know, for example, we have, you know, 50 bed spaces at Brampton Youth Shelter, but the reality is that we could use another 50 more. And so, you know, we don't have necessarily the funding to meet the demand. And so that's one thing that definitely doesn't work is that we, you know, we're not able to kind of meet the demand of the youth, um, specifically in Peel region, um, because, you know, we're at 100% occupancy, um, and we don't necessarily see that changing anytime soon. And so we really, um, what doesn't work is, you know, our funding model, we don't get enough funding, we don't have enough bed space. Um, And so, you know, that leads to um, challenges in supporting um, this population. What do you think could change or could maybe be more streamlined to, in absence of more beds, maybe keep the beds you have open? And so another way of asking that question is, what would help you to more easily transition youth to where they need to be? Um, so just to comment on that, really and truly, I don't think what is needed is more shelter bed space. We still need bed space, but maybe more transitional house mm-hmm. or more traditional housing options or even reduce independent living options for them mm-hmm. somewhere that they don't feel like they have to come to an emergency shelter, right? Mm-hmm. Or even when they're here, they're not here for an extended period of time because we have other options that we can explore to get them where they need to be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So definitely like more transitional housing beds. Yeah, well, I think the bottom line is that youth in the region could benefit, not could, would benefit from having more affordable housing options, transitional, if not something that follows maybe like a rent gear to income type model where there is some subsidy because the reality is rent is skyrocketing. And, you know, we have, you know, if we're looking at our client population, we have potentially 16 year olds. Um, that are trying to, you know, immerse themselves in in the rental market um, and pay rent. And it it really is unaffordable. Um, And so what really is needed is a lot more um, housing options for for youth and for 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 all people, really. No, I have when you when when I heard the word rent, I was like, oh, God, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, Because the perspective I'm able to speak to is, you know, like rest is a to a degree, we're not necessarily transitional housing, but we help youth to transition into independence. 
Um, that's kind of the niche that we occupy. And so we do our best to have the host home model where we reach out to community landlords who they're empty nesters, for example. They have empty rooms because their children are off to college or they're off doing their own great big things. Um, and so the parents have, you know, empty rooms that aren't really doing anything but taking up space in the house. And so we try to target those individuals as well as, you know, the general rental market to talk about what youth homelessness is, a lot of the misconceptions about it, and see if anyone is willing to help us from a compassionate lens in terms of offering not only their space period, but especially at a subsidized cost. So from that perspective, I absolutely agree that we need more affordable housing options because that's even the reality with transitional housing where it can be available to um, to a select number of youth, depending on how many beds are available. But then in order to kind of keep it fair and to keep it moving, you can only offer it for, you know, a year, 18 months and stuff. Um, and so I think, I mean, I can't, I can sit here on my soapbox and be like, can't the economy, fix it. But like, you know, <laughs> it's not that simple. Um, so I absolutely understand where you're coming from in that aspect as well. I think it's a matter of almost kind of making the next step more achievable. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I think a question I would like to ask all of you is about the demographic of youth that we are serving. Again, just anecdotally, what are some consistent challenges that you find the youth in your care are facing as a result of their homelessness? So I think for our youth um, that are kind of facing homelessness, there's a lot of different um, challenges. Some of the kind of repetitive or the ones that we see most often are kind of related to mental mental health, substance use. Um, so specifically for mental illness, you know, it's really challenging for our clients to kind of have regular access um, to psychiatric care. Sometimes there are challenges in accessing kind of um, getting medication covered. Um, or even accessing really treatment um, service options. And the same thing really does go for, you know, substance use disorders. Um, there, there, there is a lot of um, challenges in getting um, resources to the youth um, that have those as barriers in their life. And, and so, yeah, I would say mental health and substance use is definitely a consistent challenge that our youth face. That actually reminded me, I did want to ask about the mental health piece because I've actually heard some feedback about the mental health support and the fact that it is present and that people have benefited from it. So I wanted to know a little more about what kind of resources you have on site or off site in the form of referrals that you are able to provide on the front of mental health. Yeah, so um, on site at Brampton Youth Shelter, we do have a full time um, mental health and wellness manager. Um, we also offer a wide variety of kind of um, wellness programming related to mental health and substance use. Um, we're also really fortunate that we have a partnership um, right now with one of the local hospitals where we do have a counselor um, that, ha that does come to the site weekly um, to support the youth that are struggling um, with coping um, with substance use. Um, so when it comes to mental health and substance use, we definitely, um, you know, kind of do the all hands on deck approach. Um, and it's something we, we really we really are passionate about here. Sorry, this might be another really big question, but what is something you wish the shelter system, either Brampton Youth Shelter or Mississauga Youth Shelter, could better provide, but is currently unequipped to provide? as well as what would need to change in order to provide that something? I think that there's something that could be provided, but I don't know that it's necessarily from us as service providers, if you will. Um, but I know that a challenge that we kind of as staff have experienced is um, supporting youth that are in crisis um, to get to a crisis kind of bed, if you will. Um, so there are some some bed spaces um, for youth experiencing crisis, but the, the bed spaces are quite limited. Um, and there's some kind of restrictions on submitting applications and what that looks like. So I know if I could kind of wave a magic wand as a service provider, if there's something that I think that we could probably 
provide to youth, but we're not able or we're not equipped to provide, I think would be more or more access to kind of crisis short-term stays um, for youth that are kind of experiencing um, immediate kind of mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think that is absolutely justifiable. And that kind of made me think of something else that I honestly should have started with. I want to thank all of you for the work that you do inside the shelter because it's not at all an easy job to be so directly on the front line and to, you know, have some of the experiences that you have. You know, you walk into your job expecting one thing. And then, of course, as is the case with social service work, nothing ever goes according to plan. And so I really do want to commend all of you for everything you're doing and let you know that I am thoroughly grateful for it. Thank you. You know what? It's a very challenging, um, challenging career path, right? Um, and it's one of those things. You know, we have a great group of individuals that work over here. We work really well together, keeping each other motivated um, to do the work that we do. But it, it can be challenging at times. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I can I can fully fully understand that as well. Um, in the same kind of vein, actually. Um, I want to ask a little more about kind of your experience providing care to the youth you provide care to from the perspective of a service provider. How do you feel emotionally, physically about the work that you do? And how do you take care of yourselves in all of this? Because um, as longtime listeners of the show will know, um, I'm very much am a proponent of not only put giving your all into everything you can but to take care of yourself in the process. And so how, how do you feel about the jobs that you work and the consequences, I guess you can say, that come with that? Um, I can say the job is a very rewarding one. Let me start off by saying that. So it's not all bad, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word. You know, it's a very rewarding job where you can see youths transitioning, you can see youths moving on to higher education or a good job or just doing something productive with their life and just even looking back to say oh two months ago I was down on my face I was in a shelter and now look at me right so when you can work with these youth so closely and then you see them go from point a to point b it makes you feel good right and in those moments, you just take the wins as they come and celebrate them with the youths and just know that you did a good thing for them, right? And you supported them the best way that you could. Um, yes, sometimes it does do take a toll on us as service providers, but then we are always encouraged by our teammates or by management mm -hmm. to do self-care stuff, right? Indulge in self-care and take care of you because you can't by extension take care of these youths that you provide service to if you're not taking care of yourself, right? So I think uh, I can speak on behalf of everybody here that we we are intentional with our self-care. I know I am very intentional. Yeah, so we do things with our family and kind of just, I don't want to say detach from the space, but kind of just take time for ourselves too, right? Sometimes we, we can get so engulfed in the work that we do, but also remembering to take care of ourselves just so that we can take care of you. I think, you know, here at our place, Peel, one of the things that we value and we try to encourage all staff to practice really is that work-life balance, right? because it is so it can be so challenging being in this space. Um, we really promote kind of, you know, taking care of yourself and, you know, filling up that cup so that you can come to work and support, you know, filling up others cups, right. So we really, we really emphasize that self care piece, we kind of hold each other accountable. Um, you know, right now, I'll share with you our team, we, uh, we have a company wide um, challenge going on right now called uh, the step up challenge. And so we're all tracking our um, steps throughout the month for the next month. Um, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna encourage each other to get moving and get fit. Um, and so we we really focus on like that mental health and wellness piece um, for 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 all staff in this space. I'm absolutely so glad to hear that. Um, I love the step up challenge. Um. <laughs> it's super competitive. Like we go really far. <laughs> like you're right down here stepping and talking to your legs. <laughs> 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 
truly, I'm so glad to hear that, um, you know, amidst the good, the bad, and the ugly, you're still finding time to take care of yourself. And then also to what Abigail was saying, I'm glad that this is a rewarding job for you because like that's something else I definitely want to go back to and make abundantly clear. Um, it's very evident in the times like in this recording and outside of this space that I've been able to speak with each of you. And it's very clear to me that you guys are passionate about what you're doing and that it is making a difference in the lives of the youth that you're serving. And so I'm glad to hear that, you know, in that sense, the pieces are where they need to be. But I think that might be a good place to segue into the big bad question I ask all of my guests. No one's allowed to escape, not even you three. Um, it's become a running joke on the show that, you know, people try and I don't let them, but usually this question is pretty well received. And that is this, where do you want this discussion to go? What should I and our listeners tackle first? I think in the immediate, definitely creating kind of that social awareness, imploring um, community to take action and just support um, youth homelessness um, through charity potentially, um, but also kind of calling on um, government to take action, federal government, provincial government, municipal government, so all three levels um, to take on the issue of youth homelessness um, as, as an immediate call to action. And I know we might sound repetitive when we say it, but donation and funding is what I think is of utmost importance. And Crystal said raising awareness. I think also by raising awareness, we will also tackle the stigma that comes with um, homelessness. Whether it be youth or adult, there is this stigma that comes with homelessness, right? So kind of just tackling that too will not get away with the issue but it will start <laughs> tackling the issues when you raise awareness um i cannot agree with the latest said it's just more um awareness to homelessness in peel maybe more community members to join us and advocate um say maybe for advocate but to to the government for per se to give us more funding or more resource, resources to um, help the youths that we serve By raising more awareness about youth homelessness and the realities of how it starts and what it looks like, we can advocate for change in the systems designed to serve youth to make sure that we are serving them in the best way we can. Crystal, LaToya, and Abigail all gave us incredible insight on what's happening inside the shelter and how they do their part in this battle, but they only tell half the story. In the next episode of Homelessness in Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, we'll sit down with some active residents of Brampton Youth Shelter, We'll hear their stories, learn their insights, and heed their calls to action. That wraps up this episode of Homelessness and Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, and the first part of our Youth Shelter mini-series. If you want to follow up with Our Place Peel, all of their social media are in the description, and you can visit their website, ourplacepeel.org. That's O-U-R-P-L-A-C-E-P-E-E-L.org for more information. If you're interested in supporting a cause tackling youth homelessness, I invite you to visit our website, restcenters.org. That's R-E-S-T-C-E-N-T-R-E-S.org to learn more about our mission and how you can support the cause. If you found solace here, learned something new, or think we have something of value to offer, you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, this is Maya Moniz, signing off. This podcast has been brought to you by Rest Centers through the special dedication of our peer support leader, Maya Moniz, our Director of Youth Engagement, Romaine Redman, and Rest's Executive Director and Founder, Dag McCoy. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively those of the hosts and guests involved and have no affiliation with the Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center.